0: But wait, what if we, instead of recording this podcast, just completely rearranged the office again I could to gain some sort of marginal thing. benefit that we don't know about yet, but could potentially exist? That would be very, it took us like a week to set this up. Just think, if the video set was on that wall, then there wouldn't be that lip up there.
1: You can't and see the
0: lip. I could film videos on stilts. On stilts. So I could be practicing my balance while filming videos. uh Eh? Okay. See? Okay. I mean, alternatively, I could just have the lip in the video because
1: the video with me on stilts is already ridiculous and silly. You could still wear stilts if you get short stilts and then equip them so that you could put your knees into them. That's true. And then you're walking around on your knees on stilts.
0: Remember the, what was it called? That board that balanced on a cylindrical tube I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what it, too, i want to say board. bossu no i want to say bossu ball but it's not a bossu I, ball I the bossu ball called. is the half metas or half exercise ball that you like stand hmm. on and if you're in crossfit do heavy squats on because that's smart <laughs> no i can't remember what it's called i don't know we'll put it in the show notes it's one of those things that i've been wanting to buy for many years but could never justify doing so but i know if i had one i would use it all the time it's one of those dumb things isn't that kind of weird? Sometimes we buy things and we don't use them very often. But then I know I would use that thing quite often. I just don't buy it. I don't know what it is. Probably because it costs $100 and it's basically just a board on a tube. I think it's it's more apparent that that isn't that useful. Hey, it's good for balance.
1: Though so actually... like a skateboard that, that you is already true. have.
0: That is true. So I'm taking this parkour class. And the first class required us to do a time trial run on a course I set up. And I'm thinking to myself, I did parkour in high school. I'm going to be so good at this. And for the most part, I was actually pretty decent at it. But there was one section where we had to balance on rails. And I kept falling off over and over and over again. Wow. So I was pretty bad at rail balance. Way to ruin the score. Yep. Uh, my score was definitely hit hard because of that. But... After the rail balance day where we learned all the best techniques for balancing on a cylindrical rail, I've been getting pretty good at it. And I've been getting to the point where I now have the confidence to walk on these rails they have that are about four feet off the ground. And they have more that are about seven feet off the ground. And pretty soon here, I think I'm going to be able to do some balance trials on those too. you
1: You're going to start doing tight ropes off the top of buildings? No. Though, what's that movie? Parkour. What's that movie called? Yeah, do a hardcore parkour. Uh,
0: on a wire. Is it man on man on wire? I don't know. For a long time, man on wire was the top-rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it about 100% a hundred percent score? Rope? Yeah, it's about this. Movies. It's about this French guy who. Um, he I I want to say that it was the Twin Towers before they came down. It could be different building somewhere else, but I think it was the Twin Towers. Uh, this French guy back in the nineties when they were being built potentially or at some point, he really wanted a tightrope walk across them. So there's this whole documentary on him trying to do that. And there's all, there's like, obviously nobody wants him to do that. There's rules against it. It's against the law. So not only is it incredibly dangerous to walk across the tightrope between two gigantic tall skyscrapers, but it's also super illegal. So the movie's pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. I watched it once, but it was so long ago. And I think it was one of those instances where the movie's on, but you're kind of doing something else. So I didn't really give it my full attention. Yeah. Maybe I should watch it again someday. Yeah, that movie was very, very highly rated. Anyway, enough chit-chat. Welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, guys. Today, I thought we would do something a little bit different. Um, We were going to do a book analysis episode, which is why for those of you watching this on YouTube, you may be able to see a book sitting here on our table. Uh, So we are going to roughly talk about some of the ideas in the book Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. Is that how you pronounce it? Cialdini. Cialdini. I still don't have the right accent. Accents are your domain, man. But I realized that this book, which talks about the ways that people influence each other and essentially convince people to do the things they want them to do, has so much in it and it's so well uh, grouped into different chapters that I just thought each chapter deserved its own episode. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that for the next six weeks, you're going to get nothing but influence the psychology of persuasion analysis episodes. We're going to space these out probably every three or four episodes. I'm not sure. We'll see how people like them and we'll space them out accordingly. But I thought the principles in this book were really fascinating. And I think that you guys are going to find them fascinating as well. Uh, now, I have read about half this book. I'm not sure how far into it you are yet.
1: Maybe about the same? Not that far. Okay. Now, I'm only, I am only read this chapter because that's all I had to read. Otherwise, I would have had it finished. Mm. Well, yeah, so that's the other thing that I
0: am wanting to see about this change of format. With other book analysis episodes, we each have to read the book, which means that, for, at least for me, because I'm a slow reader, that's like the one book I read during those few weeks between book analysis episodes and it also means that we kind of gloss over a lot of the detail and nuance because we're trying to sum up an entire book in one episode yeah and maybe sometimes for a book like um the war of art that's fine because the war of art is almost about one idea and it just sort of dwells on it in several different ways but this while it is about the psychology of persuasion, it Really is like six mini books with a theme that ties them together.
1: Yeah. So it's the book version of a listicle.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Or maybe so it's much better and higher quality. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining the, That's what just the like book is six, version six ways to
0: influence your peers. Oh, Actually, no, that people no. Would the buy that the book. book
1: version means that it's good. Yeah. It is a very good book.
0: Um, now, you dug into this chapter much more recently than me. So I. For the most part, I'm going to let you take the reins in this episode and like explain our first weapon of persuasion, which is reciprocity. Yeah. Um, but I do want to introduce the book itself, and there's there's one tactic that he doesn't really cover in a whole chapter, but I did want to mention it because it was really interesting to me, and it actually was used on me fairly recently. You fool. I am a fool, but I am only human. We are all fools. Uh, so... Like I said, this book is basically about how to influence other people. And the chapters cover tactics like reciprocity, covers um, consistency of identity, lots of things like that. The intro chapter, while it doesn't go really into detail about this particular topic I'm going to talk about, does mention what is basically the anchoring effect um, or comparing and contrasting. So essentially, the anchoring effect states that we will compare one thing based on what has been contrasted to or compared to which is why a lot of times when you look at websites that have a monthly plan for something there are three pricing tiers yeah there's the you know the basic level $5 a month then you've got your best value level $10 a month and then the ultra super premium one at maybe $20 a month and the reason they do that is because if they didn't have that $20 per month plan then the $10 a month plan would seem pretty expensive but because you have now contrasted it to $20 a month, you think, oh, well, that's actually pretty cheap. Yeah, that's not bad. And this isn't related to the story I want to tell. But actually, the other day I went to REI and I know you were with me, weren't you? I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe uh, somebody a friend was with me. I was looking at coats there and I'm the kind of kid who grew up going to Kohl's for my coats. So the winter coat I've had for years was probably seventy five dollars. Maybe $80. It's more than any of the coats I've owned. You say that like it's nothing. I know, right? And uh, so that was like the winter, like the maybe water. I don't know if it's waterproof or water resistant, but $80 coat. And the one I used in college, I bought this $30 polyester fake leather jacket from JCPenney for 30 bucks. I
1: so that's
0: the level I'm coming from. I go to REI and I like REI, but I'm looking at the coats there and they're $300, 350 dollars and I'm staring at these things, and I'm like, this is super expensive. Holy crap. Like, who would buy this? And so it was kind of a casual thing. I go about my business. And then a few days later, Anna's at an anime convention. I'm bored. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to research coats for no reason. I'm just kind of curious, like, what's the best ski jacket? So I find this best men's ski jackets of 2017 list on the internet somewhere. And their top pick was $700. $700. And then below that, they said, okay, we have another one. This is the most technical, perfect coat ever. It's $900. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that is ridiculous. I could buy a road bike for that much. Yeah. But the interesting thing is reading those reviews has made my perception of the $350, $300 coats at RDI shift. Now those things seem relatively inexpensive. And the coats at Kohl's for $100... While I would have thought $100 for a coat a few years ago was really expensive, they seem like goodwill coats almost. So don't look at absurdly expensive things or you're just going to trick yourself. Yeah, it's crazy. And the anchoring effect has happened all throughout my YouTube career as well. I find find that when you become a YouTuber, you tend to follow some people who are around the same size as you. Maybe you have a few others that are bigger. So say you're at 10,000 subscribers. The person that has 20,000 looks like they're a celebrity and then you hit... 20,000. And it, it, the bar just keeps moving. And every time you hit a new, a new milestone, you feel like your channel is actually pretty small. So our channel's at what, 870,000 subscribers now. And my weird lizard brain goes and looks at Liza Koshy with like 15 million and thinks, well, my channel's not actually that big. I'm pretty niche, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's a really weird quirk of the human brain. So one thing that the book brings up as an example is the uh, the experience of buying a suit. You go to a, you know Brooks Brothers or Men's Warehouse or wherever it is. They will always guide you to buying your suit before you buy any accessories. And the reason they do this is because if you do that, then the the cost of the suit, which is easily the most expensive thing you will buy, is anchored in your head, and anything else gets compared to the cost of that suit. So this actually happened to me. I went to a store called Suit Supply in New York City, and you can buy their suits online. Um, And honestly, I I did a lot of research on suits. And Suit Supply, in my opinion, from the research I've done, is probably the best quality suit you're going to get with the best fit at a somewhat reasonable price. I don't know what your price, what you think a reasonable price is. And actually, your suit looks pretty good on you.
1: That's like off the rack. That was like a $200 one from like Kohl's or JCPenney or something. So I th- I feel like you got lucky. Not that intense, but I also don't care. You you don't care.
0: I did care a little more. So I mean I'll put it out there a suit supply suit is like five hundred bucks. So not your J C Penney suit that costs one hundred and fifty dollars, uh, but also not an Armani suit or a nine hundred dollars suit from uh, J Crew or something like that. Yeah, it's a pretty middle of the road price. Something that a lot of guys, if they saved up, they could get it, and it looks really good. But it's still five hundred dollars. So I go to the suit supply. I didn't want to order online because I was just worried about it not fitting right. I wanted somebody who was an expert to see it on me and tell me this pants need to be hemmed, the sleeves need to be taken out of it, whatever it may be. And it was a great experience. So I believe the suit that I picked was 550 bucks and I bought that. And as I'm getting ready to finish up the purchase, the salesman's like, do you want to look at ties and pocket squares? And I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, all the ties I have are kind of cheap. A lot of my ties are skinny ties because I usually shop at express and a skinny tie looks pretty good with a button up shirt, but not with a big lapel blazer on either. So I'm looking at ties and their ties are $50 a piece and their pocket squares are 50 bucks a piece. It's a square. It's a square of fabric. I mean, maybe it's silk fabric, but you it's could a just square get, like, fabric. like a
1: microfiber cloth that you use to clean your screen and just put that in your pocket. You know, you're you're not really wrong. That would work. But because I had
0: the suit price anchored in my head already, and because I was enamored with the idea of getting this complete suit that was going to look awesome, I bought a $50 tie and a $50 pocket square. And it wasn't even like a sweet pattern or anything. It's, just, it's a white silk pocket square. It's just a microfiber cloth. They just got you. Yep. So I increased the price overall from 550 to 650 And for that extra $100, I was given a square fabric and a tie. Now, it's a nice tie. And it's a nice pocket square. And I think the ensemble looks pretty darn good. And I don't really regret buying it. But from a removed perspective, analyzing that purchase, it. I don't think that I would have sprung for the $50 pocket square if I had walked in and they said, hey, you want to look at pocket squares and then look at suits? I don't think I would have. No. Because I would have gone, that's insane. That's $50 for a square fabric. I probably would have left the store after I saw $50 pocket (laughs) squares. This is too much. So yeah, something similar happened. I I wonder if... um, What's it called? Room and, room and Board, I think is the store. I wonder if Room and Board is actually shooting themselves in the foot by putting their $4,000 couches as the first thing that you see when you walk in. Maybe they should have some end tables or something. I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe, well, no, never mind. I'm thinking about this wrong. If you go in and you have enough money to buy a $4,000 couch, then you probably are also going to buy a $500 end table, even though it's ridiculous. Yeah. They probably know what they're doing. They're in Cherry Creek. They're in the rich people village. So, but Yeah. So the anchoring effect works, you know? And it was pretty funny because I've seen pocket squares you can get online for $10. Yeah. And the weird thing is when you're in the mode of researching something, at least if you're like me, you start to think, I want to get the best one. I don't want to compromise.
1: I think this is what online research does to oh. us. Oh, you start yeah, reading I had that problem. But I now I don't research things and I just go to Target and buy the one that I see because it's probably smart. The big, fancy, best <laughs> one in the world actually... Doesn't make me that much more happy. And why do I deserve the best things in the world? I'm not a king. I don't need the top quality everything in my apartment.
0: And it's true. And a lot of times nobody cares. That mic over there at my desk was exceptionally more expensive than these mics, but I think they sound just as good. Yeah. I mean, maybe that one is better for if I'm recording Thriller or something, but we're just talking and drinking tea. That's all we're doing. So the cheaper mics work pretty well. But I did want to put a bit of a story behind that experience. And the funny thing is I went to StyleCon and I ended up hanging out with Aaron Marino afterwards. And he takes us into this office and he's like, this is where they send all the free stuff that I can't get rid of. So you have to take something. And they just gave me a free pocket square that was nicer (laughs) than the one I had gotten. Nice. (laughs) And it has like this beautiful illustration of a bird on it. So they put put a bird on it. it. They did. Nice. I figured you'd get that. (laughs) But yeah, so that's the anchoring effect. Uh, And this crops up everywhere. So anytime you see something really expensive used as a kind of a contrast to the thing that they're really trying to get you to buy. That's why. Now, one interesting thing that I learned from pricing studies is that often the anchoring effect of the really expensive thing does help to sell more of the mid-tier things. But a lot of times the majority of the profit, or at least the highest amount of profit is gained by the highest tier item. Because a lot of people are kind of like me and the anchoring effect is there, but then they go the opposite direction and think, well, I want the best one. I don't want to miss out on the best thing. Yeah. And they'll they'll start to do some weird twisty logic where they'll think, well, that's actually not that much more expensive than what I was already going to pay. And they'll justify the price jump. And the highest price thing is always the largest margin thing. A lot of times when I've seen people do online courses or something, they'll have maybe the super compact $20 book edition the $100 edition with video courses and maybe a few extra work things. And then there's a $500 one that's literally the same as the $100 one, except for you get an hour Skype conversation with the person. So I guess if
1: an hour of somebody's time is worth $400 to you, you know, that's, that's The beauty is that they're likely to get more people to buy the mildly expensive stuff. But Mm -hmm. then, I mean, for those who go the extra mile, that's just icing on the cake. That's just like, okay, I guess you could buy the extra expensive one. Nice. And it's it's also another form of like reverse comparisons because now you're basically
0: saying, look, this amazing course I put together with all these bonus things is worth $100, which means an hour of my time being worth four times that. That means an hour of my time is amazing. Like,
1: yeah, think of what well, I could. It's tell funny you. because you start out, you look <laughs> at the expensive thing, right? and Now you're OK with the less expensive thing, mm-hmm. the mid tier thing. And you're like. But then suddenly, that mid-tier price becomes the base price, even it if it's not floor. it's not the low price. You're like, well, $100, dollars i got to at least get the mid-tier. Mm-hmm. But now now it's not that much more, even though you're just comparing to the price you previously compared to. So you're just like jumping back and forth, and it's really weird. It's tricky stuff.
0: It kind of reminds me of my first experience ever climbing a, a real legit mountain, like a 14er here in Colorado. When I was at the base and I could see the peak up there, it seemed huge. And then we started our uh, ascent and we had to walk across this gigantic field first before we really started going uphill. And at that point you could no longer see the peak. All you could see was the next crest that you're working up to. So that was really difficult to get up to. But then once you get there, the peak seems a little bit easier to get to. Yeah. I mean, it's still there. It's still higher up, but now it's not nearly as high up. So you've kind of elevated your perspective and we do like mental gymnastics to, to get ourselves to that point with pricing as well. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's the anchoring effect. I feel like we talked more yeah, about that, was, that, that. I intended That's just to. like the intro
1: chapter. That's just <laughs> that's his the, tiny example of a psychological thing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's one tiny example. So the main focus of this episode though, is something called reciprocity, which in really simple terms, it basically means we feel naturally that if something is given to us, we should kind of return the favor. Yeah. That's a natural human response. There was a good quote from the book that I wanted to, um, To share, uh, and I think it was Cialdini who wrote this himself, a widely shared and strongly held feeling, a future obligation made an enormous difference in human social evolution because it meant that one person could give something, for example, food or energy or care to another with confidence that it was not being lost.
1: So really, I mean, this principle of reciprocity is honestly a good thing, right? It's basically necessary because it allows for division of labor. Because yeah. if you've got you got three people super crazy just forest hunter gatherers or something you got one person getting wood to start a fire one person finding berries and stuff and or water one person hunting something, then the person who's just getting wood maybe they're going to get really good at just getting wood but if they can't count on the other two people to help them out they're going to starve to death while being an expert wood gatherer. Mm-hmm. So you can become an expert only because you trusted somebody else to do the other things you're not becoming an expert at.
0: Yeah. And on that note, one little tangent here. I read a book called Debt the First 5,000 Years. I never finished it because it's a very thick book. But this book essentially refutes the view in classical economics that before money, there was barter. Before we had gold coins and dollar bills, people would go to the market and they would trade the left butt cheek of their cow for a few eggs or something like that. Good deal. Uh, obviously, that's a very unworkable system, and as the book demonstrates through a lot of anthropological evidence, most of the time you would ever see barter is between people who were basically enemies or didn't really know each other, and it would be like a one-off thing. Like, you'd travel through the desert and meet this other tribe and then maybe barter some stuff. But for people in tight-knit societies, it was all based on informal debt. Yeah, because that's the, like, the bartering with, like, just time in between. Yeah, and it wasn't like hey, you owe me $100 in six months with 1% interest. They didn't have money. There was no such thing as money
1: at the time. No, it's just you'll do me a good turn later mm-hmm. because I just helped you. And the reason this
0: works is because humans are inherently built to be reciprocal. If they weren't, we then- would, We, we wouldn't, wouldn't have been good at society without that. We would that. have never had complex societies. We wouldn't have never made money because money is just a a codified and a, you know physical representation of debt. In a
1: quantified way. Well, we wouldn't have been able to get very far in basically anything without allowing people to trust that they could pursue one thing. Yeah, exactly. For the good of everyone and have everyone do good for them as well. You mm-hmm. can't have experts in anything. We'd all just be, you know, hunter-gathering all the time. Hunter-gathering. But by hey, ourselves. Maybe that would be the best way. Maybe. Maybe that would be for the best. Maybe it would but, be. Know, we're just all going to be mountain men. Bartering is
0: evil. Yep. Bartering is the root of all evil. Yep, it has the word Bart in it, and I've watched enough Simpsons to know that Bart is actually a pretty bad kid. That is psychologically good. He gets into a That's lot of trouble. You know? I think. A lot of hijinks. Something like that. Our society would have a lot less hijinks if there was no society. Hence, we need to get rid of society. Yes. Boom. Podcast done. Done. <laughs> okay. So clearly, at its base, reciprocity is something that is good. Yeah, it is fundamental to the formation of a society, but it's also something that can be exploited. And I'm gonna let you take over at this point. I've got some stuff that I can that I can chime in about. But how do people exploit this this uh, part of our brains?
1: Well, first, I wanna I wanna mention something—a little linguistic note—because that's the thing I like the best from the book. Okay. Is <laughs> that they pointed out that um, this is such an obvious thing to to cultures in general that an English example. When you're saying thanks, a synonym for that is much obliged. You're literally saying I'm obligated you in the future mm. as a thank you, and that's just natural. Yeah. But also, there was a sociologist, um, Alvin Gouldner, who had gone as far to report as to report that there is no human civilization that does not have this rule ingrained in some way. Like saying much obliged in some no, way? No, like the reciprocity thing. Oh, like, okay, gotcha. Like everyone. So it's like everyone it's a core it. human thing. He couldn't thing. find a single anything. Because that's how communities formed. Yeah. And the way to take advantage of it is basically to give gifts that weren't asked or do favors knowing that weren't asked for, knowing that they're going to owe you later. Mm -hmm. But the reason that this works, the reason that people can get you to do things you didn't want to do, which is the tough part because you're like, why did I even do that? Is because we just feel horrible about it. And society does not like people who take favors and do not pay it back. Yeah. You can be a moocher or an ingrate. Um, When people want to make – when people want to make an argument against entitlement programs, they bring up the image of some sort of welfare queen because they know that that image is anger-inducing. The thought of somebody living off of the backs of everyone else and not helping is just like one of the worst things that somebody can imagine you to be. Now. Having mentioned that, I do want to point out that the idea behind keeping a lot of these is that those same people will be able to pay back in the future, trusting that they will repay, and that I personally benefited from a lot of these. So, I did too. So I bring up the example of people saying welfare queen, but I'm not I'm not saying I agree with it. Um, Politics podcast Also, now. I am uh, very proud to pay all the taxes that I pay now because I make more in taxes than I could have without my grants. Yeah. So that's returning the favor though, so I'm happy to do it. That's an example of a force multiplier – which we talked about in the personal yeah. MBA episode. Yeah, basically the government invested in me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And now I can give more back to the government. And I don't mind paying taxes because I know that without that, like it's me paying back, which I have to do. But cultures – Plus I like roads. Cultures hate it when you don't. Yeah, roads are nice too. Roads are pretty good. They're pretty dope. Pretty useful. But um, basically you can't go against this without, one, feeling a lot of guilt, feeling really uncomfortable with it. Unless, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess, you could be like a sociopath and not care at all. Those people get away with whatever they want. But also, That's true. you'll have people from the outside who don't like you either. So the inside and the outside are both saying, you're bad, repay them now. Yeah. So a good example of how people uh, take advantage of this is um, the Hare Krishna Society, which... Those people that give me flowers in the airport? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I had experience with this back in Iowa State way before I knew anything about this or who they were, or anything. So the, uh, back at Iowa State on campus, there'd just be this little monk dude. He'd walk up to me with a messenger bag, and he'd just be like, oh, hey, what's up? And let's have a fun conversation, do to do to do, do And then he would offer me the a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, their religious book. And then... Oh, so he was giving you a book. It wasn't he gave me he gave a, me a copy of the book. He, okay. And uh, then he would talk about it. He'd be like, this is for you. It's all cool and stuff. And then he'd be like, now... Just how much do you think that book's worth? <laughs> and then like he would try to force me to come up with an answer and then he would b- mention that they're taking donations. Now, I hate being psychologically manipulated, so I forced him to take back the book. But the important thing about this story is that that society doing this upped their donations by like a billion percent and mm-hmm. they were on the verge of not being able to function in America and then suddenly were just fine flourishing. They're on the pedestrian mall here in Denver, at least somebody doing something similar, if not not exactly them. But notice that even though I did not like being psychologically manipulated, my tactic isn't to take the gift and not donate. It's to desperately return the gift at all costs so that I am not indebted to them still. Mm -hmm. And when I see them on the pedestrian mall and they're trying to hand out bracelets or something, basically... I try as hard as I can to avoid them. I'll do anything to avoid them or to avoid taking the things. My hands are full. I'm on the phone. I'll cross the other side of the street because taking the thing, even though I know what they're doing, makes me very uncomfortable if I do not donate back. And that's, that's the thing about it is it doesn't really matter if you like the person and it doesn't matter that much whether you want the gift. Once you have it, it's very uncomfortable to not do something.
0: I think there's even some reciprocity in people who just ask you for money. Because in a way, they're sort of putting a little bit of hope in you, and you kind of know that you've like received hmm. their attention and hope a little bit. I think this is part of the reason why we're uncomfortable, even when someone is so asking of for people, money in the
1: street. Like the people that are going around um, saying, do you want to donate to this charity, do all this stuff? Because first, they're like, I'm sure you look like a really good person. What they're giving you is they're their confidence, the full faith in that yeah. you're a really good person, and now you're going to feel bad. If you prove them wrong and betray their compliments, yeah, it is. It is so uncomfortable
0: to say no that I'll sometimes cross the street.
1: Oh yeah, I know? totally do that because they're like, "I'm sure you care about kids, right?" And I'm like, "What am I? Am I supposed to just say no? <laughs> no, I don't care. Yep, leave me alone." It's like one of those trick questions. It's uncomfortable. I just want to leave. Yep. Uh, th- I I don't think
0: this is reciprocity, but the whole donation thing um, got me thinking. You know how the Whole Foods sometimes asks if you want to donate to a certain thing while you're in line? Yeah. I always say no to that. But when they ask, do you want to round up your purchase? And then they say some charity and I have no idea what it is. Maybe you were expecting
1: them to ask for a bigger donation and now rounding up seems like nothing.
0: I think for some reason that the whole there's like this psychological divide between just rounding up to the nearest dollar and actually choosing to part with another dollar. Maybe maybe it's the fact that we think in terms of dollars. So if the purchase is twenty dollars and eighteen cents, I basically feel like, oh, twenty one dollars has been spent. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there's another psychological tactic that we haven't gotten to in this maybe, book yet that maybe covers it's in that somewhere. But I was really interested in that. Because I, I choose the charities I donate to. Well, that rounding up amount so. seems
1: smaller the more you purchase. The contrast principle. That's true. The contrast principle there. Because there. if you spent $20, what's 80 cents? What, who cares? I but if you, if if you I was, spent $1 and they were yeah. like round up, it would seem like, well, I'm doubling the cost of this. And, and maybe you still wouldn't care because like it's really not much, but... Well, and the thing with
0: Whole Foods is I, I always see it as like, okay, they're asking me for one, and I kind of, because my brain extrapolates, I kind of feel like, okay, now I'm going to have to donate a dollar every time I go to Whole oh, Foods, yeah. which is like three times a day. <laughs> that That's the consistency principle, which we'll talk about in a future episode, Yeah, because you kind of want to be consistent with the stands you've taken almost. But I would imagine if I was buying a car and they said, do you want to donate a dollar To Teach for America or something. Okay. um, (laughs) Can I leave? Just This (laughs) $20,000 car, now it's $20,001. Okay, sure. Why not? But yeah, whenever they ask me to round up, I'm just like, okay. I don't even think about it. And it's silly to me because the reason I don't donate in line is not because I don't want to donate money. I just want to choose the charities I donate to. And I do research on them. And then I, you know, I deliberately... Go through the act of donating. So when somebody's just like, "Do you want to donate to this organization you know nothing about?" Because I've asked you to while you're trying to buy some peanut butter, I'm like, no. But for some reason, the rounding up, I'm just. It almost feels like you had the money, so yeah, you can keep it. And I always donate my bag credit too.
1: Oh yeah, I always donate. What do I? I would do do I feel like, like I would cents. feel I really
0: care. weird and greedy keeping the five cents from my bag credit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It's five cents. It doesn't matter either way. So, yeah, there's some weird psychological stuff that we can unpack here. Yeah. But I, I too, have been um, solicited by people either from Hare Krishna or something You just else. got krishna Yeah, you just got krishna When I was in Tokyo, I was in Akihabara going to an anime store or something, and this monk oh, handed yeah. me this gold card with the, I don't know, some sort of religious figure on it. I didn't even look really... And I'm like, I don't want it. He like shoved it into my hands. He didn't ask me if I wanted it. He just, here. And then he asked for donation and I felt the same thing.
1: Yeah, that might may not even be a real monk because I definitely heard about like fake monks going for tourists. Yeah. So that they're like, ooh, look at all this cool Asian stuff. I don't understand. Wow. Sure, I'll donate to your thing. So they're just like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm totally, totally a monk. And I did stick out like a sore thumb there. I think I just dropped the card. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, so you can't keep it. You can't take it mm-hmm. because you still feel bad even though you never wanted it. And I've heard about some
0: reciprocity scams that have happened. Um, the one that I read about was when I was reading about somebody's experience going to Egypt. But I'm sure this happens all around the world where you're in one part of town. So you're just trundling down the street of Cairo. Someone will shove a T-shirt into your hands and they'll walk away before you can object. So you just are holding this T-shirt, and now you feel like, well, if I jump it on the ground, I'm littering at this point, so I guess I should keep it. And then you keep walking. And up the road, there's another person who's in on the scam who says, hey, you didn't pay for that. And then they'll kind of pressure you into paying for this thing that's been shoved into your hands. So if you aren't strong-willed enough, or you feel like you're going to get in trouble, you don't have the confidence to say no, they're going to extol you of your money. That's fun. Or
1: extort you. I don't think extol is the right word there. Yeah, well, and the thing is they know they know you don't want the thing. Everybody knows. And he talked about in the book actually uh, – he was at an airport just kind of watching people do stuff as somebody who must study sociology probably does. And he was watching the Hare Krishna Society do stuff and they were giving out flowers. Mm-hmm. And he watched somebody who was going, going on a break, going on a round. And he followed them just to see, what what are, what are they doing? And he watched them pick up all the flowers from trash cans that people had thrown away right after donating for them. And just re-give them out. And just re-gives them out. Oh my gosh. So they're like, we know you don't want the flower, but you're going to keep donating. And now we'll just take the flower out of the trash, give it to somebody else. Now they'll donate it. And then it's just infinite money and they know they know you don't want it. Yeah. Yeah, they're just exploiting it just, you with this It doesn't point. matter. It's just, it's kind of brilliant, but I don't like it, obviously. Yeah. Um, another example of this is free samples in products and in grocery stores. Yeah. Because, especially because then they can kind of get you to take it because they're like, come on, I just want you to try it. I'm just, oh I just gosh. want, it's just informational. Just try it. But then like, you're more likely to buy the product afterward in a grocery store, or they were saying that Amway does a thing where they like drop off these samples for mm-hmm. 48 to 72 hours. Just, just try it. It's no big deal. And then you're way more likely to buy some because you're like, well, I used some of that. Yep. So I should buy a bottle. Even And then they just take the same samples, they bring it to the next person, and then they do it. They're just like, it's brilliant. Free samples are clever because it's hard to say no to something where, where they can justify it.
0: I watched Anna's mom get taken in. Uh, we oh, were in no. Charleston, South Carolina for Thanksgiving last year. And one of the things you do in Charleston is you go to the main street. I don't know what it's called, but it has all these shops and stuff on it. Uh, and when I'm there, I'm just like, this is kind of boring because it's nothing but antique shops and clothing shops and soap shops. And this is I would rather be climbing a mountain or something, but I'm there to just hang out. Yeah. And we pass this shop, this shop that's selling soaps and selling like this face cream that apparently makes you younger, of course, because that's science and all that kind of stuff. It's actually mushed banana. He just mushed up bananas. Rub it all turns out. And this guy comes out. And I think I had actually read part of this book around the time that this happened. Because I watch him uh, offer up, like, he's like, hey, smell this. And then she says, oh, that smells really good. I I can't remember what it was, but I I feel like he, like, let her put some on her face or something. And I immediately realized, oh, this is reciprocity. And I could just tell immediately this dude's a pro he's such a pro and anna and i are, are just like come on let's go let's we're, we actually and i try sometimes i'll do this thing where i say we're actually meeting people over there um because i'm a liar sometimes <laughs> 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 I, i'm not sorry i'm sorry but i'm not sorry in certain cases they're trying to manipulate you don't be sorry <laughs> yeah i i mean i try to be an honest person but maybe I'm a bad person. Sometimes I lie to the people who are psychologically manipulating me. Well, sometimes
1: that makes sense. If I'm like, hey, Tom, uh, how do you feel about Wario? If you like him, I'm going to murder you. It's totally reasonable for you to say, no, I don't like Wario. That's fine. I'm not going to be like, you're a liar.
0: You're a liar. Is it okay if I'm fond of him, but not like (laughs) I don't want to lie to you. (laughs) I'm not lying. We are meeting people there. It's just I'm just not telling you that we're meeting them in an hour. Yeah. So if if you interpret that we need to meet them in five minutes, that's your problem. (laughs) I don't know. This is, yeah, this this makes me sound like a sociopath, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you got to do something. It's okay. I took the psychopath test. Is that a test? There's a psychopath test you can take. Yeah. Because, I don't know, somebody was tweeting that you can take a test. And I was like, I'm curious about that. And sometimes I do. What does it say about you that you wanted to Weird. know whether you're a psychopath or not? It might mean I'm a psychopath. Honestly, I took the test and it was like, you're not a psychopath. Sometimes I wonder because um, in, in cases like that where I can tell somebody is clearly trying to manipulate me intellectually, I have absolutely no qualms with withholding certain bits of information to get out of the situation. Yeah. So sometimes my brain goes, does that make you a psychopath, Tom? And then I went and took the test and the questions were like, do you feel no remorse for your actions? Do you not care about people? Do you do literally whatever you want impulsively without thinking about the consequences? And I said, okay, n- no, none of those are me. No, so maybe I'm just a little bit unscrupulous in certain things. You're just that being don't insincere
1: with people who are being
0: insincere. Haha, <laughs> insincerity fight. Yeah, I will win this. There we go. Yeah, but so she didn't listen to us. She goes in the store. And, of course, he's just like, I just want to show you this stuff. I just want to show it to you. You're under no obligation to buy anything. And Anna and I left because it was clear he was going to take a while. And we come back. And, of course, she had bought stuff, like $45 worth of stuff. Oh, there it is. Boom. All it cost I was the knew, tiny, tiny sample. I could tell. The guy was such a pro. I knew he was going to get her. And I, I was like, the the only way you're going to get out of this is if you just say no initially because the further in you get, the more and more the reciprocity builds. He's given me so many free samples. He given me all this yeah, well, free now information this in. his time. I'm wasting his time. He's teaching me all this really cool stuff, you know? And now I don't know what to do. This is why webinars work. And I'm going to put this out there. I am I'm not going to go on the record and say I won't ever do a webinar because they're effective. But this is why webinars work. Instead of having a sales page that you just read and then you buy something, you have an hour-long webinar where I'll teach you something for an hour. And then I say, if you want to learn more about this, I have this course you can buy or something. And I've sat through them. And I got to tell you, I get into the webinar thinking, I'm not going to buy this. I'm just going to benefit from the free information. He's been very open about the fact that this is free information. I want you to get something out of this and you're under no obligation to buy whatsoever. And yet at the end of the hour-long webinar, I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, I really want the thing he's selling. Can I afford it? And I didn't buy it. Because I realized it was useless for me at the time, but I think if I had been at a stage in my business where it would have it would have made sense, I would have been far more tempted. Yeah, to get it. So, and you know, I, I don't want to say that this is inherently bad because, truth be told, he did give me an hour of free information. I honestly benefited from that. Yeah, but the fact remains that that is actually a very powerful psychological tactic for getting someone to buy something because it enables reciprocity.
1: Yeah. And even if you see it, you're in the store with the free samples, spending like an hour talking to them or something, Mm -hmm. even, even if you're like, clearly they just need to sell me something. But then what you might start thinking, but they've given me so much time. Maybe they make money based on commission. I don't want to, I don't want to waste their day. What if they're not going to make enough money today? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like they've given me so much of their work day. I would hate to disappoint them. They could have been selling to somebody else.
0: Yeah, exactly. Totally. And I mean, to, to an extent, like what we do enables reciprocity. Sometimes we have sponsors in this podcast. This episode isn't sponsored, but sometimes we do. And to a degree, I think people are already listening. They don't want to quit listening. So they are are willing to sit through an ad and hopefully whoever we're advertising is a good product in the the first place. But there is some degree of their willingness to listen to the ad that is bundled up in the fact that we're giving out free information. We're spending time to create it. Because if we were just
1: like, hey, you want to listen to this ad? Yeah, exactly. Like, And I get get this, you know,
0: first, like if I'm watching TV and I don't really care about the TV show and an ad comes on, I feel no obligation to keep paying attention. Yeah. But if, if it's a podcaster that I really respect and an ad comes on and they're the one voicing it and it's a product I haven't already bought, haven't heard about before, I'll listen to it. And I think about like, why am I listening to this? I didn't turn on this, this uh, podcast about the Mongols to listen to an audible ad, but I'm still listening to it because- I respect Dan Carlin. He just gave me this like amazing thing for free. At least I can do is listen to his ad and yeah. maybe go try it out. You yeah, know? it's it's everywhere. It holds communities together. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I guess the main point here is that like reciprocity isn't inherently a bad thing. And when people use it to sell things, that is not inherently bad. There, it's like a spectrum, right? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's nothing wrong with putting out some free stuff and then you know, trying to use that as a little bit of leverage to make a profit on the thing you buy. That's a totally legitimate way to do business. But there comes a point where it's clearly manipulative. And Hare Krishna Society is a very good example of that. Yeah. The only reason they're giving you the thing is to pressure you into making a donation. I think that's, that's really the cutoff. Is the thing you're doing for free meant to actually be a real tangible, meaningful benefit to the person that you're engaging with. Yeah. If so, then the fact that you're using the reciprocity generated by that to hopefully make some money down the line isn't nearly as bad as if you're just
1: literally trying to manipulate them. No, and the the reciprocity rule is really valuable to society. That's Mm -hmm. why we keep it. Otherwise, it would have been cast aside at some point. It helps us or else we would just be mad all the time about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, one of my favorite examples of it in the book involves some soldiers in World War one where uh, there's this German soldier who is basically their job was to crawl across you know the little thing in between trenches get into the enemy trenches get the enemy so that they can interrogate him and oh yeah go get go get some dude and so this guy who's really good at it gets sent over to capture another enemy soldier he goes in and get he drops in the hole with the guy and the guy's holding a piece of bread and he hands him some of it. And the German soldier then leaves, does not take him... To, you know, basically probably be yelled at for failing his mission because the dude gave me some bread. I can't capture and interrogate that guy. Yeah. It's just some bread. It's like nothing. But he was still like, but he was nice to me. That's crazy. It's like genetic programming that goes against the whole army that's ordering you to do something. Yeah. It's like intense. You want to be nice to people who are nice to you. Mm -hmm. And the scale is really, are they actually being nice to you? Because you can give a real gift and want something back. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. If you help some, if you help your friend move, it's perfectly reasonable To hope that they will help you move later. And when they violate that, you're just like, why'd you do that?
0: Yeah, I have a friend who I have helped move many times. And guess how many times he's helped me move?
1: Zero. And I remember that. Yeah, you remember it very specifically because it broke the
0: rule. Mm -hmm. And the logical part of my brain thinks, it doesn't matter in the long run. It's not a big deal. He's still a good friend. But there's a part of me that's just like, he never helped me move. And I helped him move so many times, and I was so willing to do it. And not only did he not help me move, but he's, like, made excuses about it that were clearly dumb excuses. So I know
1: he just doesn't want to put in the effort. Yeah. And it just irrationably makes me mad. Yeah, see, and it bothers you even though you didn't help him move planning that he would help you move later. You mm-hmm. just helped him move. Exactly. You're just being a good friend. You just, you just expect. It's natural to think, if I'm nice, you will be nice. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to give one example of the reciprocity principle that is put into action in, let's say, something nearing the more manipulative end of the spectrum here. And I want to show what it can cost you. And this is actually a pretty tame example with the numbers I've laid out here, but it's still a good one. So, say you are going to buy a car, which I have done before. When you go to the car dealership, the salesman is going to be really nice to you. And a lot of times they're going to say, hey, you want a bottle of water? Do you want some coffee? Can I get you something? So maybe a cup of coffee is nice, but this is a reciprocity tactic because now you're a little bit in their debt if you accept the coffee. You just, you feel it. So say you're buying a $15,000 car and you have decided you want to buy it there and you decided to go with dealer financing. So you don't go to your bank and maybe you decide to go for dealer financing because they offer it and you kind of feel like you owe them a little bit. So you say, okay, I'm not going to be too much of a hard knuckle person. And they say, all right, we're going to go to the office. We're going to wrangle the numbers. We're going to see if we can get you the best rate possible. They come back. They're like, all right, we got a five-year loan for you. Zero money down. You can drive off a lot today without paying and it's just going to be a 3.5% interest rate. Okay, so for a $15,000 car at that length of a loan, that means you're going to pay a total of $16,373 for that car. But what if you had said, okay, that sounds good to me, but I think I can get a better rate with my bank. Unless, So I'm going to go to the bank unless you guys can offer me 3%. Just a 0.5% interest rate difference, not even full percent. But if you were to do that, if you were to do that negotiation, the total is now $16,172. So that bottle of water... He tossed you when you walked in that just cost you two hundred and one dollars nice the two hundred dollar bottle of water or coffee or whatever it was because you felt like you were a little bit in their debt. you didn't want to be too much of uh you know hard knuckle negotiator. you didn't want to frustrate them too much. you just kind of want to say you know thanks, yeah, I'll
1: be a good customer. I'll drive off the lot and pay what you guys want me to pay yeah well I imagine if if you had that salesperson right and they walked off to get you the water and another salesperson came up and they were like. I can get you a better price. Here's a better price. You'd probably feel really bad to switch to the next guy, because, but this guy was the one talk. I should really yep. give him the business. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, this happened at, uh, I think it was Guitar Center. This dude
0: came into the acoustic guitar room, and I was looking at all the guitars, and I didn't really know which one to get, and he gave me all this help, and he was trying to help me find a good case. None of them fit, but I said, it's fine, I'm going to buy the guitar anyway. I'll find a case later. And... Then he had to go help somebody else or something. And I ended up ringing up with a different salesperson. And I think that they are paid not on commission. They're just paid to work there. Okay. hourly. But there was a part of my brain that went, oh, wait, what if they're paid on commission? I don't want to give it to this guy. I want to give it to the guy that helped me. Yeah. Cause he helped me. I mean, he was just doing his job, but I want to make sure he's the one who gets the sale. So I think that it had somebody come up to me who wasn't the original person. I would have said, no, nah, I'm going to wait for that guy. Yeah. You know? So, that was everything I had written down here. Oh, wait. No, no, there wasn't. There was actually something from Season 1 House of Cards. And House of Cards is full of reciprocity. That's how it's, politics it's a
1: masterclass works. It's in reciprocity. If you, if you don't like how all, all that pork and stuff gets on bills, well, reciprocity is exactly how all of that stuff gets done. And that's why it's there.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So I guess I do want to talk about a minor plot point from House of Cards. This is from
0: Season 1. So if you haven't watched it and you plan on watching it, hmm, please some pause. Point, watch season skip one forward, this and is then come back one <laughs> plot point. But as I, w- I was thinking, OK, what kind of manipulation happens in House of Cards? And it's been a while since I watched it. But one thing that stuck out of my head is there's there's one kind of like low ranking senator in the show and he gets in trouble because he's like soliciting escort girls or something. And I think like the main character, Frank Underwood, helps to cover it up. But then he starts to use that as leverage against him. Mm. Now, that's not reciprocity. That's blackmail, pretty much. Uh, But what he does is he says, "Okay, I want you to basically close this shipping port in your district, because if you do that, it's going to free up money for this other guy that I want to give a favor to. And the guy's like, I don't want to do that. I have all these dock workers in my district who are going to lose their jobs if I close this port. I need to vote to keep it open. It's my duty to my constituents. But got the blackmail on you, bro. So he totally goes against his gut, betrays all his constituents, votes to close the port down, and all that money is now freed up. And Underwood uses that to basically get this other guy in his pocket. He says, okay, I've done this favor for you. So now you're going to vote for me. Uh, And I think it's like to replace somebody as, um, as a majority leader in, in the Senate. So yeah, the specifically the first season I thought was the best season of that show. And it is, it is honestly just a really good example time and time again of a lot of these tactics in action, but reciprocity is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't even know how long we've been going for, but since we usually end up around an hour, it's probably around an hour at this point. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It looks like it's close to it. So
1: is there anything else do you think that we should add in here? I do still have some more stuff in here. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Yeah. So this won't take too long, but there are basically three main obligations that are part of the reciprocation rule. Uh, The obligation to repay a favor. That's Mm -hmm. the one we've talked about. There's also the obligation to receive. It feels very awkward or impolite to refuse a, a gift. It's hard to do that. Yeah, it does. Like you're if somebody wants to be nice to you, it's hard to just say, No, don't be nice to me. Maybe you're being manipulative. I hate you. It it like it's really uncomfortable to be impolite and reject a gift. Yep. So that that works in anybody's favor trying to use this. But there's also the obligation to make a concession when another person has made a concession. And this is yeah. how the rejection then retreat strategy works. Okay. So an example that Cialdini gave that he personally experienced was a little boy scout. It was like, Hey, do you want to buy a ticket to the Boy Scout Circus or something? It's five dollars. And he was like, No, because he didn't want to go. And then he was like, Well, all right. Well, if you don't want to do that, how about these chocolate bars? They're they're like a dollar. And Cialdini doesn't like chocolate bars, and he does like money, as he points out. But he buys <laughs> Can't two of you them. Like money too. He buys two of them anyway because he's like, Well, you gave up on one of the things you want, so I'll give up on one of the things I want, which isn't to not spend money right now. Yeah. And this is also important societally. We can't get rid of it because this is how compromise works. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. groups would either have to like kill each other or split apart every time they had a disagreement. Compromise has to happen. So when somebody concedes, you want to concede. But – and this only works if it's reasonable. Like if I say, hey, Tom, give me a million dollars and you're like, no. And I'm like, "Okay, could I have 500? You're going to be like, you're stupid. (laughs) Like, it's obvious I'm not being genuine.
0: It just reminds me of when Clyde would say, Tom, can I have $30,000 to pay up my student loans? And I'd say no. And then he says, okay, well, then can I have two, three, $5,000? Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's very tricky stuff. It's just It's just $5,000, but two, three of them. I like to call that... I don't know what I call that. That's not a psychological call principle. That that's just weird multiplication grouping. That's just nothing. <laughs> brain
0: or <logger>, brain gymnastics.
1: <laughs> but But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like you want to you want to give up something when somebody gave up something. Mm-hmm. And this is how lots of things work because you want to sell the higher thing knowing that they're not going to take it and then they're going to buy the thing that you actually wanted to sell them the whole time. So yeah. this works great in all of those store situations if somebody were to show you like a $3,000 table and you, and obviously they know you don't want it. They know you don't want a $3,000 table, but now you're thinking about the $3,000 table. Or actually, when I went to look for pianos, I looked at the top of the line stuff first. That's what he wanted me to look at. Mm-hmm. And I love pianos, so I don't care that he's using sales tactics. But you look at the expensive stuff first and then they're like, okay, okay, well... What about this one then? And they have to phrase it in a way that sounds like they're conceding. Like, yeah. okay, I won't get what I want. But it, what about this one? Like they're still trying. If mm-hmm. they don't make it sound like it's a concession on their part, it won't have the same effect. Yeah. But they start at the expensive stuff. Then they concede. Then they go to the other stuff. And then you're more likely to concede, not only because of the contrast principle, but because they've given up something that they wanted Mm -hmm. and now you feel more likely to do that in return. Yeah. And this works great for them because also it doesn't really matter which one you do. If you get either of them, they win.
0: Yes, they do. They still make a sale. I mean, maybe they don't make the same margin on that, but they're still making a sale and they're getting you as a customer, which as we will talk about in the next episode in this series it is so much easier to keep a customer buying time and time again than it is to find a new customer. Not only because it costs time and money to go out and find new customers to convince them that your service is good. But once I become a purchaser of Apple products, now I'm the kind of now person that buys Apple products. Yeah. And, you know, I like Apple products, but there's a part of me that's just like, I'm not an Android person. I don't do that. It's just I'm an Apple guy through and through. Yeah. Red-blooded Apple purchaser, you know, and that's just psychological programming Yeah, pretty much. That's just part of being human.
1: Now, they have one example for the rejection then retreat strategy that I want to talk about before, before we're done here because okay. it's a cool example. They got a little study where two people are sitting at a desk. One of them knows it's a study and they're doing what they're supposed to and the other doesn't. And it's a lump of money. They have to agree on how much money each person gets or none of them get any money. So the the people that were most successful were the people that started off asking for, obviously, the large amount of money. I want all the money. And then slowly being worked down to a reasonable amount. And they still ended up with more money on average than everyone else. So they, did they end up with more than 50%? Mm-hmm. So basically they said, I want all of it. And then they still get mo- most okay, of it. Okay, how about 80? But the, the tricky part here, the really cool part here, is that the person who is is on the receiving end of this trick – ends up feeling really invested in the deal because the people at the end of this study felt the most responsible for it. They felt like I whittled them down <laughs> and I got 20 bucks. They they felt <laughs> like they felt like I got him to agree with me. I worked him down from his ridiculous demands. I'm an expert negotiator, but they were duped the whole time. And yeah. that's, it's like brilliant because mm. you win regardless of where they stop for the most part, as long as you get the medium thing that you really wanted. Yeah. The comparison thing, the contrast principle, helps them also to agree, and for some reason, they think they're outwitting you because they helped get you to agree to a lower thing than what you wanted originally, gotcha. which it's just absurd when you think about it. So you're saying it works. if our listeners send $70 to our P.O.
0: box, they've actually outwitted us because we wanted 100 Yeah. Yeah, they got us. That's pretty
1: smart. Yeah, at least I, I got to say. Hey, I, I walked into that piano store, and you know what? He wanted me to get that $8,000 one, but I was like, no way, sir. I'm going to get the $3,000 one because you can't pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> it's it's like weird, that, but you get invested in it like you won. So that's probably one of the most effective ways to use. I'm trying use. to
0: think if this happened to me recently. I don't know. Well, I did end up with a $400 pair of skis, and I felt good because I didn't buy the $550 pair of skis. I do feel like the salesman wasn't really trying to be that – pushy or manipulative at all but maybe that's the point oh my god
1: maybe it is i don't i honestly don't know i mean i Well, I mean it's not like everybody's always using this all the time because the contrast principle already helps yeah but in cases like that boy scout it's Mm -hmm. more evident that you're gonna sell way more chocolate bars if you start with the big thing that they don't actually want Mm -hmm. but if you started selling chocolate bars and then we're like okay well if you don't want a chocolate bar how about the expensive thing you'd be like no it's more expensive and yeah. also, you're just asking for more now. I said no. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking for less, it feels like you're whittling them down. Yeah. It's like, hmm. uh, man. oh, man. I guess there's so much fun to talk Psychology. about with the consistency principle. Man.
0: Oh, man. So much I want to talk about on there. I want to talk about the tripwire strategy. There's all kinds of good stuff. And we're probably dumb because everything we talk about is going to make it less effective when we use it. <laughs>
1: Reciprocity still works, even if you know about it.
0: Whenever we make a product, we just have to make a sales page that said, We already told you about the tactics. Just click buy. Oh, we'll, we'll have a little. And there's hover a picture of me just like things?
1: crying. <laughs> no, it's got little hover points, and it's like there you, go. you got the three sales things right, and then you hover over the big one, and it's like this isn't real. You're just supposed to buy the middle one. Oh my god, <laughs> gotcha. I want to make like that be the, a I cool make ironic honest, sales page.
0: transparent sales page where there's a little tooltip
1: that explains every yeah, little. It's kind of like that. Give using. me, give me your email page that uh, Matt that Matt had, uses. Like, that was for, hilarious, but like for sales, you just being. This is me trying to trick you into buying the middle thing, please.
0: I wonder how much that would work. Maybe would it would laugh. induce more reciprocity because people would be like, he's being so honest Ooh. and teaching me about Ooh. psychology right you know on the what? sales page.
1: <laughs> See, this stuff goes deep. It does. Honestly, I
0: every time I'm on Facebook, which is very, very little these days, but sometimes I'll end up on it because of who I am and the circles I run in, there's always ads for this online course or product or system that you can use to, you know, launch a super profitable online product. And we'll show you the exact sequence of emails you can write and the exact funnel you can build and everything. And, you know, all the sales tactics and exactly what to write. And every time I see it, I just want to comment to anybody wanting to buy this. You do realize the sales page is the class Oh, yeah. Just pay attention to what they're doing to you and do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is very useful to have the underlying principles shown to you. And this book actually does kind of show some of the the areas where you can go too far or where it doesn't work. But I don't know. A lot of these things you can just pay attention. And especially when the, uh, the curtain is kind of pulled up a bit and you kind of know now the patterns are in your brain, you can sense them. Whenever you see them,
1: that's how Cialdini got these ideas. He he like noticed, why did I just buy two chocolate bars? And then he like got together with the assistant researchers and he was like, okay, what just happened to me? (laughs) I don't even like chocolate. (laughs) Why'd I do that? What's wrong with me? Let's figure it out. So if you're, if even don't feel bad if you get tricked or you buy something you didn't intend or do something, just question, why did that happen? Because understanding yeah. it is like the only way to reduce its effect mm-hmm. other than it forcefully becoming a sociopath and ignoring the rule. But then you're going to be like a pariah. It's not that helpful.
0: I guess that's the one thing that um, I, I had in mind when I was reading this book is that this is useful and I'm going to be able to pick it out. But I also need to be careful not to become this ultra analytical jerk who just oh no points out everything because honestly, it's not, it's not like every time you see an example of this in the real world, there's some snidely whiplash character who's just twirling his mustache and villainously laughing while he constructs this amazing algorithm to break down your psychological defenses. A lot of times people are just being people. Yeah. Like using reciprocity
1: to, for, for gain and profit is part of the human experience. And it's not like they're thinking, I'm about to use reciprocity on this guy. Yeah, what's up? You're just like, I think I'm gonna help that guy. That that looks like a problem. Why do you think restaurants have a candy bowl at the end when you can just take free peppermint when you leave?
0: You're gonna come back because they gave you some free stuff. That doesn't mean they're evil. Doesn't mean I'm gonna not not go to my favorite restaurant. Like Like it's a good restaurant. This isn't
1: evil. It's a good thing. We need this rule. It helps society grow. We need to make we need to compromise on things. These Mm -hmm. are very important things ingrained into us. It's just that when you know what's ingrained into us, you can take advantage of it if you so choose, or you can learn to block against people taking advantage of it. Mm -hmm.
0: I can't remember. Did this chapter say anything about reciprocity being more effective when it wasn't money, or was that maybe another chapter or something? I feel like there was something in the book about how whether it
1: was more or less. But the German soldier bread example wasn't money. Yeah, a
0: real gift is more effective than a gift of money because there's. People are probably more suspicious
1: about money at this point just because there is like capitalism. There's a lot of of stuff.
0: One thing I think of is um, a lot of companies have so-called sweet benefits. Like we get a ping pong table in our break room and you get um, 20 bucks a month in credit that you can go buy on the Kindle store. Like I've seen some companies that will give their employees 20 bucks a month to buy Kindle books. And all I think when I see that is how much are you reducing my salary to offer me these
1: benefits? I wouldn't doubt that that does work better because there's it feels like like the difference between me finding something that really makes sense for you as a gift and me just handing you twenty bucks and say happy birthday. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine, you can do that, but one of them feels more of like like a gift. Mm-hmm. One of them feels more thought out, and when the companies or people are giving you something that feels more personal or thought out, yeah, as opposed to cash, which maybe it's maybe it's going to be easier to detach your emotions from that.
0: Or like when we moved into this apartment, they gave us a bottle
1: of wine. Yeah. And that felt really nice. Until it was bad wine. It was bad wine. They
0: probably should have, you know, rotated the wine and not just had (laughs) wine they had That was actually trying to get you to leave.
1: It was reverse reciprocity.
0: Maybe it was. I don't know. Get out of here. You know, if you think about that from
1: an analytical standpoint,
0: you could have reduced my rent by a hundred bucks a month and I could buy a lot of wine, but I feel pretty okay paying what I pay my rent and I felt pretty
1: good that they gave me wine. Yeah. Until I opened it, it, it. just feels you know? it's it's easier to emotionally connect to other stuff. You appreciate mm-hmm. it. And I remember you guys you like, actually were so excited to drink that wine they
0: gave you. You waited until the apartment was like perfectly set up. It was that one bottle of wine they well, gave you was like and a I special love free theme. food.
1: If somebody yeah. buys me a free meal or if I get free food somewhere, I'm like, nice. I just ate lunch for free, but it was like ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. It's not that big of a deal normally, but because it's the food, it, if somebody gave me $10 or somebody just bought me lunch, I would love the lunch. I'd be excited about yeah. the lunch and the $10. I'd be like, what? Okay. I guess I don't know what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Maybe it's because money is a unit of account. It actually kind of breaks out of what we consider to be a tangible gift because it has a specific quantifiable value. Mm-hmm. And it also represents not an actual gift. It represents a buying choice that we can go
1: make. Yeah. So we're gonna know. go out I mean, and He'll trade talk about with it more it. somewhere in the book.
0: Yeah. But it, the thing with the company benefits is something that always makes me think about that.
1: Oh yeah. You can because, have a free beer every Friday. Yeah. That's like or the we work that couple we were working dollars,
0: at. You know, it's free free beer on tap and free kombucha. But you're paying three fifty a month
1: for it. But I still loved know? the free kombucha and when we were, we were, we were there. I was like, this is awesome.
0: I think an office that charged us $300 a month and we had to go buy our own kombucha would feel less cool. Yeah. we would. would probably have a harder time selling us on it. Yep. And it, fruit water, water with fruit in it. It's so cheap, but I love it. <laughs> I was like, they have fruit water. This is so cool. It's delicious. You know? And it, had it not been for the the really long commute, I'd probably still be working there,
1: but yeah. you know, so, yeah, so there's so a lot there of stuff in here. You know, we got the obligation to repay the obligation yeah. to concede mm-hmm. lots of things, Reciprocities pretty cool
0: yeah and so i think this idea was successful because as you can see one chapter of the book has easily filled an episode oh yeah
1: that would have been a problem trying to run through all six that would have been just like so there's also reciprocity so like don't buy the chocolate Mm -hmm. next lesson
0: (laughs) well what i want to do is um at some point i want to make a video that summarizes all of them and we actually have an article on the site that does it that ransom wrote a while ago so i think i'll just adapt that article into a video but then in the video i can say hey Do you want to learn more about one of these? Because we will have six episodes that will go in depth, one on each one. So I think it's going to be a pretty good series. Uh, The one thing that I wanted to sum this episode up by saying is reciprocity, again, is a human thing. It's something that's going to happen all the time. It's not something to be avoided. But the hope here, and this is going to apply to all the tactics, is that by exposing how people use it to manipulate you, you're gonna be able to actually perceive when it is happening in the real world. And that doesn't mean that you need to run the other direction every time, but it does mean that you need to be a little bit more rational in making your buying choice. Ask yourself, am I buying this because this is actually a fair exchange at a fair price and something I really want? Or am I buying this thing or am I buying it in this particular situation or at this price or from this person because I feel like I owe them something? You know, and then from there, you can make your decision. Yeah, maybe Sometimes, maybe they were so good that it's fine to feel like you owe them something. I've had people, I've had salespeople who were so helpful, I wanted to give them money, and I felt not bad at it at all. Even when I analyze it, there were certain people, I just bought shoes the other day, and the guys there were super helpful, and they gave me all this advice, and maybe I could bought the shoes for 20 bucks less on Amazon, but you know what? Jeff Bezos isn't coming to my house and showing me how to properly care for my boots. So there's certainly a virtue that you can find uh, it's just tied up in reciprocity. Yeah. So, you know, do with it what you will, I guess.
1: <laughs> please don't be evil with these tips. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Here we go. We'll, we'll try not to be evil. You don't be evil. That's the favor that you can do to us. And in return for this information, don't be evil with it. Yeah. Don't be evil please. with it.
0: And also realize that, uh, If we ever sell something in the future, we're probably
1: going to use these things because it's smart to do so. Oh, I'm going to use it in the most disingenuous way possible. I'm evil. I do actually want (laughs) at some point. I I like that. I like that like fake sales page. That's just blatantly honest. No, no, no,
0: no, no. I want to do a real sales page that sells a real product, but then it's just like maybe we'll A, B test it. Some people get sent to the really honest one, (laughs) which has just little tool tips. Mm -hmm. I want to do it. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely doing it. Um, and it's something that I should tell Matt to do as well because it would be perfect for Money Lab. It sounds wonderful. I don't know. Maybe he has already done it. I'll have to ask him. Anyway, guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think in the comments on the YouTube channel. If you watch this on YouTube or you can tweet us, we'll have our Twitter links in uh, in the show notes uh, section for this episode. And this is episode 186. So if you're listening to this, cigpodcast.com slash 186 is our show notes link. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then the link is down in the description and you can click your mouse button or your nose if you're using your phone or, you know, smash your face into your phone, whatever. Yep. It'll all work. It'll get you there. We'll have some links to, uh, we'll link to the book for one, we'll link to some of the things that we talked about and we'll link to Ransom's article if you want to skip ahead and get a summary on all of the six different tactics or you can just read the book ahead of time. Actually, one thing that I was thinking about is this is one of the first instances where we can almost give people some advance warning and they can kind of read the book along with us. Oh yeah. Cause usually we just read the book and then we do the episode, but with this one it's going to be ongoing. So if you want, you can read influence and then you can uh, follow along and see if what we say is a good analysis of it. Yeah. Or tell us we're liars or tell us we're stinking, dirty, rotten liars and thieves. Who knows? Uh, If you want to support this podcast, one great way to do so is by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. I'm not sure what people think of it these days. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not always on brand, but they do want it to be called Apple Podcasts now. Hmm. Uh, But ratings and reviews over there help us to bump up the rankings and also tells us what we're doing right, what we can improve on. So thank you if you do that. And once again, thanks as always for listening. We will see you in next week's episode. And don't forget to stay cute.